Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring our message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. that I've never seen get excited before and that makes me really excited. It's gonna be a good morning. Let's pray. God, we love you and we are just excited to be here for you. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room and we're just after your presence and all that you are. And so God, we just pour everything out to you today. We give you all of the honor and all of the glory and we just say have your way in this place have your way in us and we're just gonna tuck in we're gonna listen we're gonna worship you you are so so worthy of all of our praise and we love you in Jesus name amen you are welcome in this place Welcome in our hearts, come and have your way. And God, meet us face to face, all-consuming fire, move without restraint. Breathe on us, speak.
Cause oh, there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. But I won't go down. I hear your voice carrying in the rhythm of the wind to call me up. You were crossing ocean, so I wouldn't run. You've never been closer than you are right now. You are a child. You are enough.
And that requires so much faith because sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we can't feel it. But we can still declare in song and in our hearts that he is here. And the fact that our God is here dif differentiates him from any other religion in the world. Everybody else has their own little G gods and all of this stuff, but no one else has a God that says, I'm here. No other God is Emmanuel, God with us. And the question is, is if we truly believe that God is with us, then what are we worried about? What are we afraid of? What are we concerned with? What is keeping us up at night? What is, what is going on in our minds? If, if he is truly here, the God of this universe, the creator of all things, the one who spoke the breath of life into us, breathed the same, the same person who breathed life into our lungs, breathed stars into this galaxy, if he's here, That's who our eyes should be on, and only him in this moment. So, Father God, thank you for being Emmanuel. Thank you for being God with us. That you are here in this place, in our hearts, and in our minds, and in our thoughts. And you know us, and you know our situations, and you know all of those things and even all of our flaws and mistakes, and yet you still choose and desire to be here with us. And all we can say when we think about that is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name everybody said amen. Well, welcome, welcome. Hey, go ahead and take a seat on your way back. Look at somebody and say, hey, thanks for being here. If this is your first time watching online, or if you're just watching online, maybe not even your first time, Thank you so much for watching. We love our online community. We love that the gospel that we are preaching here in Fellowship Church is extending just beyond these walls and going out into the world. So thank you for joining us online. We love you. If this is your first time watching online or in the room, we want to extend a special thank you and a special welcome to you. If this is your first time or even if it's just been your first couple times and you'd like to know a little bit more about us here at Fellowship Church, there's something you can do that is very, very simple. It's just text fellowship to 94000. If you text fellowship, that'll get you in contact with one of our staff members who will reach out to you and just ask you if you have any questions, answer any questions that you might have. So you can do that. If you're in the room and this is your first time, we would love to also offer, if you go to the information counter in the lobby, you can take your you and your visiting family. We'd love to shake your hand, introduce ourselves. We will also give you a free coffee specialty drink for you and your visiting family, as well as kind of a goodie bag of a bunch of stuff that's in there and explaining a little bit more about who we are here at Fellowship Church. If you're wondering, you've been coming to Fellowship Church for a while, or you've had a relationship with Jesus for a while, and you're asking this question, What's my next step? Well, we have an entire corner of our lobby devoted to answering that question for you. The east, uh, yeah, the east side of our lobby over there in, is a pergola there, and it is our next steps counter. If you go there, you can ask them any questions you might have about what's going on around here at Fellowship Church and what your next step could or should be. So if that's you, make sure you head out there after service to the east end of the lobby. As we get ready to give, there's lots of ways to give. You can text give, you can give online, you can give at Church Center app as well, or we have uh, bins outside of the lobby, in the lobby after service. But one thing I wanted you to know is that God does not ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done. When he asks you to give, 
It's because he's already given. The most famous in the verse in the Bible is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He didn't just give 10% either. He just, he gave him his entire self to us. And so God doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already asking, uh, given to us. Now, also, I want you to know that we here at Fellowship Church aren't asking you to do anything that we ourselves don't do. All right. We practice what we preach. We all here at Fellowship Church, everyone on staff, we give a full tithe of our income because we know, not, not because we have to, but because we know that it's real. What God does, what he promises, the provision he provides, the blessings and the protection, it is real. And us as an organization in Fellowship Church, we give from what we get. We also pour into other ministries. We pour into Food Bank of the Rockies, Compassion International, all of these other outreaches around town, we are giving as well. And we say give, not because we, because we want you to, but because we understand, well, of course we want you to give, but we give because we see the fruit in our lives. Julie and I have been married 13 years this month, and we are just blown away what God has done. We look at our bank accounts. We look at where we've been. And, it's, and I can't tell you, oh, God has just blessed us abundantly, and, and I get to drive the nicest car, right? We drive an 08 Mercury Sable, okay? It's not the nicest car in the world, but I love that car, right? And it's gotten us... All over, the, all over the place. But God has, per, has been so good to Julie and I. We look at it and we see the numbers and we go, it just doesn't make sense unless God would have done something. And what God has done for Julie and I, we want the same thing for each and every one of you here in this room and online. We want to see God bless you. We want to see his hand of provision and protection on your life. So that's why we say give, because that's what God can do. Let's pray. God, I want to say personally, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for Julie and I and my family. God, that you have provided for us. You have blessed us in ways we can't even imagine, God. And I know there's many more ways you've blessed us that we didn't even know about or see. We thank you, God. And I pray that you would do the same thing for each person in this room, that you would bless them abundantly as they give. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, check out what else is going on here at Fellowship Church. Can you believe that Easter is just two weeks away? This year is flying by. Now, as a staff, we've been praying and looking forward to this Sunday because we feel like God has really laid his hand on that day. And we're praying that everyone can feel the promise that there's a seat at the table for you. So would you partner with us and invite anyone that needs to hear that truth? We have these invite cards for you to take and use to invite others and share what God has for us this Easter. For the next two Sundays, we are hosting our Adult Ministries Expo in the west end of the lobby. This is a place where you can meet the leaders and teachers, you can get more information, and sign up for the groups and classes that we're offering here in the next few weeks. Some of the opportunities that you can sign up for at the Expo include a ladies-only class on Tuesday evenings called Empowered. That's going to start April 4th, as well as a co-ed course by John Revere called The Bait of Satan. That one's going to start on April 5th. We also have another round of Rooted starting on April 23rd. One opportunity that I want to highlight is our young adults. Starting the first week of April is the brand new launch of this ministry. And we wanted to throw a party one week from today to kick it all off. We're gonna open up 4640 just for the young adults on Sunday, April 2nd at 6.30. So join us for dinner. We're gonna open up the spider jump, wipeout. We're gonna have pickleball, volleyball, and so much more. Now the purpose of this party is just to have fun and invite anyone ages 19 to 29 that would be interested in jumping into a six-week group Bible study. You can sign up for the kickoff party on the Church Center app or drop by the Expo. Baby dedications will be on April 16th. That's the Sunday after Easter. 
Baby dedications are a spiritually significant milestone for the whole family. When you dedicate your child, you're choosing to make some parenting decisions that will honor God and to bring your child up in the ways of the Lord. The dedications will happen during the worship set on that Sunday as each family will be led through a prayer with a staff member or prayer counselor. You can sign up for the baby dedication on the Church Center app. One more thing we want you to mark on your calendar is ShareFest. ShareFest is an amazing serving opportunity where we as a church get to serve the Grand Valley as our mission field. We do that by adopting projects from people all over the community that couldn't complete them on their own. So save the dates. The last weekend in April, that's April 29th and 30th, there'll be more information on projects and ways to sign up coming soon. As always, if you missed anything or want to stay up to date, visit www.fellowshipgj.com events. Enjoy the rest of today's service. And by BC, I mean before children. And I used to drive a really cool lifted Jeep. And I loved taking this thing out in the spring, pulling the top off, and just driving through town. It was like owning a vacation. So since it was spring break this week, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go online. I'm just going to dream a little bit. And I found this Jeep, and I thought, wow, this is cool looking. Like, I would love to have this as my daily driver, just jump in, drive around town. It would be so fun. But when you look at this picture, it doesn't really show the whole story. Because if you zoom out, what you'll discover about this Jeep is that's not a very good daily driver for you. It's not going to work. But then that got me thinking, like, what other cool cars are there to look at? And so I found this car, and I thought, this looks like a lot of fun. Completely impractical, but a lot of fun. But again, when you zoom out and you don't just think you're seeing the whole picture, you can tell like, wow, this car is not going to get me very far. Someone already had a little too much fun. Now, kids ruin your chance of having a cool car. That's just the facts. You can have kids or you can have a cool car. You're probably not going to have both. And the reason for that is when you have kids, you start to have different priorities. Like you, you care how many cup holders you have. And you want windows that you can lock and a button to push to close the door. These things become more important and so cool cars are kind of out. But you get to have kids and that's really fun. So like look at this girl. She looks so cute and that's so adorable. But again, first glance doesn't always tell you the whole story about the kid. Because truth is, right, that's a little bit of what happens. But spending time with your kids or your grandkids is still a pleasure. It's a delight. You love to have time with those kids. But if you zoom out, you never know what they're doing behind your back, for example. And you never quite know as a parent or grandparent exactly what they're thinking. Because this adorable baby has no reason to be this sad or this upset. Or really, if you really look at it, maybe they're really scared. But if you zoom out, you can see why. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I can see that. Like, Pastor Tim is scary to all of us. And so we get it, little man. We get it. But what I love about the Bible is 
You don't have to zoom out. You don't have to guess what's happening behind the scenes. The Bible just puts it right out there. It just lays it all out there, tells you what's going on, what's going on behind the scenes. And even if the picture it shows is unflattering, the Bible still tells the truth. So if the author's job or the, their goal was to try to create these human heroes through their writing of these people that we would just really look up to because they were so perfect and flawless, then the authors really did an awful job. Because they put the human's fatal flaw into the story almost every single time. They tell us exactly what they did wrong. And so when we read the text, it's right there in black and white. Like Moses was a murderer. It just says so right on the page. And David committed adultery. And Paul sanctioned mob violence. And Noah got crazy blackout drunk. And Solomon was a polygamist. And so these Bible heroes always have this element of humanity. And I think God does that because he wants us to know that, that we, he wants us to be able to relate to them. He wants us to be able to see ourselves in them, and he knows we're not perfect either. And so when we read the Bible and we see God using these people that we also see have fatal flaws just like us, but that doesn't count them out. This morning, our story begins with who many scholars think is the father of the faith, the original old school, Old Testament man, the one from whom all of the descendants of the earth God promised would be blessed. And we find that. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go out to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all of the families on earth will be blessed you. So this is the guy, right? God chose him of all of the billions of people born on this planet throughout all of history. God said Abraham or Abram, same guy, got a rename, or Sarai and Sarah, that's his wife, got renamed. But of all of the people on the planet, this is the guy that God's going to bless the earth through. And yet the Bible clearly lays out his flaws. It says, in a couple different places that Abram lied to a king about his wife, called, it, called her his sister, twice. He made the same mistake twice. And then later it talks about this family drama that's ensuing between Abram and his nephew Lot, and they're fighting to the point that they have to completely separate and become estranged from one another. Just because of the drama. But over and over again we'll see the flaws in these people. But God says that he's going to use them. And God promised to bless Abram or Abraham to make him a father of many nations. And yet he's 85 years old and has no children. And so he's kind of left stuck going like how is this promise going to become fulfilled? And I know if you're in the room and you're in your 80s, you might be thinking, now be careful because I still have a lot of good life to live at, in my 80s. And that's true. But I also guarantee you're, you're not planning on conceiving a child and beginning to raise your child at 85 years old. But Abraham didn't even receive the promised child, Isaac, until he was well over 100. And that just kind of brings up that you know, the father and the son would have a lot in common at 100 to an infant. For example, they both might wear pampers. 
I don't know. They both might do better eating strained fruits and vegetables. They both might have a walker, but for different reasons. And both might be better off for everyone if they just took an afternoon nap. So if you are a father at 85 or 100, just know you're going to have a lot in common. Abram and Sarah have been married for a very long time without having any children. And in this culture, Sarai, she bore the weight of the childlessness. And she bore that shame and that rejection and that pressure was put on her. And I just want to say, if you're bearing the weight of childlessness right now, and you and your husband want to have children, just know this, that God sees you, that he loves you, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life, and that the Bible says his plan is to prosper you and not to harm you. And so I just challenge you to just trust God with the timing of all of these things and just know that he, he sees you and he sees your situation. So it comes to pass that Sarai is overwhelmed with the weight of this pressure to have a child. And so Sarai hatches a plan. And to be honest, it is a horrible plan. More of a scheme, really. Another one of those moments when I read it in the Bible, I'm like, ugh, really? We're going to put that right in there? in black and white, because the story is so flawed and uncomfortable and so human and messed up. But here it is, Genesis chapter 16. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, every married man in the room is holding their breath because you already know alarm sirens are going off in your brain and you want to scream down through the generations to Abram and say, don't listen to her, man. It's a horrible idea. Do not accept her proposal. Every married man in the room knows this is wrong. And as a woman, I can speak to this. The play, gentlemen, would be this. Sarai, you are so pretty. I love you. You are the only woman for me. I do not want to be with any other women. And now, because you have said this, I will give you great amounts of chocolate and flowers and jewelry for good measure, just to be safe, even though you're the one that brought it up. Okay? That's the play here. But let's see what Abram does in verse 2. It says, and Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, and now she's pregnant, and she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Again, every married guy is like, oh, I knew this was going to backfire. I tried to warn you, Abram. I told you this was stupid. But now Abram is stuck. He's got a very mad wife and a pregnant side thing going on over here. Abram replied, look, look, look. She's your servant. So you deal with her as you see fit. So then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. 
Okay, there is so much wrong <laughs> with what just happened in this story. So much is broken. And this is what I want to do. I want to shift from talking about Abram and Sarai, and I want to talk about Hagar. Let God sort out Abram and Sarai and what they should have done. And let's look at Hagar and her story. Because Hagar had little choice about what was happening to her. She didn't really have that much choice in being given to her master. And we have no idea if she was a consenting surrogate or not. Did Sarai plan on forcibly removing the baby from her arms once the child was born? Would Sarai claim that child and push Hagar out or even sell her to another family? Or was this really going to be a two-wife situation? It's super undefined, really messy, and a very flawed plan, if I ever have heard one. And it brings us to the first truth I find in this story, and that's this. Other people's wrong choices cannot permanently derail God's plan for your life. Other people's wrong choices cannot permanently derail God's plan for your life. Sure, other people's wrong choices can delay you. Other people's wrong choices can hurt you, could even hurt you deeply. But no other person is so powerful that they could permanently stop God's plan for your life. The only person that can stop God's plan for your life is you. Only you are that powerful. And if you look at the events of your life and you look at what's unfolding that maybe you weren't a part of choosing, but now here you are living with it, living with the side effects, living with the frustration, living with the decision, then I want you to know that God is in the business of redemption. That God is in the business of redemption. If you got laid off or left, if you got mistreated, misunderstood, or misrepresented, if someone you love died or got diagnosed, and if you're staring at the pieces of your broken life and you see that things are unfolding in a way that you don't know what to do with, know this, God can and will redeem your situation. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And this is exactly the situation that Hagar is in. She, she gets in a situation that someone else made, and now she's forced to deal with it. She's pregnant, she's rejected, she's mistreated, and Hagar runs away. And she has no hope. And she runs out into the desert, and she's given up, and she wants to die. And she's laying there by this spring, hoping, I guess, to become dehydrated or heat stroke and just end it all because she has no clue what to do. And now let's continue in verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar. Now, Every time up to this point that the Bible has used, uh, tried to reference Hagar, it's called her my slave or my servant. And that's been done repeatedly by Abraham or Abram and Sarai. And as a result, I think that indicates that they didn't value her as a person. She was just a commodity to them, a means to an end, to use and abuse, to manipulate God into giving them a son. But now when God enters the scene, he shows her dignity and respect. He refers to Hagar by name. He calls her by name. He knew her. He knew her situation. And he knew her name. 
And we don't know. We don't know if Hagar even knew who God was at this point in history. But we do know that God knew who Hagar was. And he knew what she was facing in her life. And God knows your name too. That's the second truth this morning. God knows your name. God made us this promise. In Isaiah 49, it says, See, I have written your name on the palm of my hand. He knows your name, he knows your story, and he knows your situation. And Jesus defines this even further. He talks about how he himself is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd leads his sheep. And it says in John 10, verse 3, it says, The, shepherd, the sheep recognize his voice, the shepherds, and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And if you find yourself in the middle of some kind of mess and you don't know how to get through it, know this. He knows your name, he knows your situation, and he can and will lead you through it. And so he knows what steps you need to take towards healing. He knows what steps to take towards forgiveness. He knows what steps to take towards reconciliation. He knows what steps you should take towards wholeness. But not just the steps every person on the planet should take to get those. He knows what steps you need to take. Because he knows you. He knows your name. And he knows your situation. And it's so tempting when we're in a crisis to just default to our old way of thinking. Go back to the old habits. Go back to the old safety nets. The old escapism. Easy escapes from the situation. But I challenge you, if your life is a mess, don't go back to the old default pattern. Instead, listen to him. Listen to the voice of your shepherd and allow him to lead you out of whatever it is that you're facing. Ask him to lead you through it. So God calls Hagar by her name. But then he reminds her that she is still in a situation. Verse 8, it says, The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Knowing God knows you, and knowing God is with you through your circumstances doesn't exempt you from the hard work that you're going to have to do to get out of your situation. Hagar still has to take responsibility for herself and her part of this dysfunction that was unfolding. We don't know exactly how willing or unwilling she was, but we do know very clearly that once she got pregnant, that she began to treat her mistress with contempt. She started that part of it. And so if she's going to get out of her situation, she has to own that part of her situation, own her role in the dysfunction. And so that's why I think God asks her, where are you coming from and where are you going? In other words, what's your perspective? That's what he's asking her. What is your perspective? How do you see this? God wants to know our perspective. And he asks us that same question in the middle of our mess. God asks us, where are you coming from and what's your perspective? And this really, this really matters because the way that we see our situation is going to determine where we go next. It's going to determine our next steps. The way you see your job determines how hard you'll work. The way you see your family in terms how it dictates how deeply you, you'll invest. The way that you see your church determines how much priority you're going to give it in the list of priorities in your life. And the way you see your mistakes determines how much responsibility you'll take for your own actions. So God asks Hagar, where are you coming from? What's your perspective? And 
where are you going? What's next? Verse 8. I'm running away, Hagar says, from my mistress, Sarai. Okay, girl called her out. She is talking to the Lord. She's naming names. She's giving specific details. The problem is her, she tattles. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. In other words, I think what God is saying is, your story is not over. Your story doesn't end here with you in the desert, pregnant and dehydrated and giving up. You'll go on to be more, experience more, and so, so will your family. This is not the end. Verse 11, the angel also said, you're now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to call him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And that's the third truth in this story. The third truth is God hears the cry of your distress. God hears our prayers. He sees our tears. He knows the wrongs that have been committed against us. In Psalm 116 it says, because he, meaning God, because God bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. It's so important that we express our prayers to God. That we don't just bottle up our feelings and hold on to our frustrations and just try to power through it. It matters that we speak them out loud, that we tell them to God. Because he hears, he listens, and he cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Sometimes we're tempted to think that we're all alone. That we're in the middle of this mess and we're cut off from help or support. But that's not true. Because God hears us. I remember clearly going through a particularly difficult time. And I was hurt. And I was disappointed. I felt misunderstood and misrepresented. And to be honest... My heart was just weighed down with a lot of hurt. And I did not know what to do with it. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to live under it. And so I was just in this desperate spot. And I felt God tell me to go for a walk and to worship. So I put on my AirPods and I went for a walk and I worshiped. And it helped a little. And I got back to the house and I'm like, okay, well... I'm not that much better. So I called a friend that I could trust and poured out my heart. And I felt better a little, but not really. And so I walked into my kitchen, and I heard God whisper to my soul. And he said, I see you. I see you. And I fell to my knees in the kitchen, and I ugly cried. And I straight up tattled to the Lord about everything that had happened. And I felt like my heart had all of these wounds, like compounded wounds. And so I took each wound out and I looked at it in detail and I named names and dates and I listed it all out before the Lord. And then I took out the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one just right there on my kitchen floor. And when I was done complaining to the Lord, 
and tattling as specifically as I could, I took all of those hurts and I laid them, I imagined myself laying them at the feet of Jesus as if they were like a crown or a jewel or something of great worth. I laid my wounds at his feet and I left them there. And then I stood up off the kitchen floor and I felt, I felt whole because I knew that God had seen me. And that's kind of the situation that we find Hagar in. Continuing our story in verse 13, it says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So throughout this text, we see the, the text says the angel of the Lord. But now we see Hagar says the Lord was the one who spoke to her. And then she asked the question, have I truly just seen the one who sees me? So there is this theological debate through the scholars that says, did an angel appear to her or did God appear to her in the flesh? And it's just left ambiguous. We don't really know, was it God, was it an angel? Verse 15, so Hagar gave Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And, and through all of this that Hagar went through, God revealed a piece of himself to her. Never before in scripture had anyone called God the one who sees me. In Hebrew, El Roy. No one ever referred to God as the Lord who sees me until that moment when Hagar announced it. And if you look through the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll never find a person naming God except for her. Every other time a name of God is revealed, God reveals it. He says, I am, to Moses at the burning bush. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the God who heals. Later he says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. But in this case, he spoke to a woman and he allowed that woman to bring forth a piece of his character saying, I am El Roy, the, the God who sees you. God who sees you. And that is the fourth truth this morning that we find through Hagar's story is that God, God sees you. He sees you. He understands. He empathizes with your situation. In Hebrews 4, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations. Jesus, our high priest, understands. He understands our betrayal. He understands our anxiety. He understands our depression. He understands our situations, our circumstances. We have a high priest who understands what we're going through. He understands our loss and he understands our grief. Our high priest understands and he sees you. He sees you in the middle of the night, alone, crying, he sees you. He, he sees you as you get so frustrated because your aging body doesn't do what it used to do. He sees you when you drop your child off at the other parents. He sees you by the bedside of a loved one. He sees you in the courthouse and in the doctor's office. He sees you. He sees who you are. He sees exactly what you're going through. And he once sent me here today to tell you 
not just he sees everyone, like all seven billion of us in a generic sense, but he actually sees you. I'd like to invite everyone to stand to their feet for a second. And if you would, just close your eyes. Closing your eyes allows the people around you to just have a moment of privacy with God for them to contemplate this question in their hearts. Maybe you're going through a situation and part of your life or the whole life feels like a mess. And you need God to see you. You need to know that he sees you. And if that's where you're at and how you're feeling this morning, then I'd invite you to just slip up your hands to say, God, I need to know, I need to know that you see me. Guys, there are so, so many hands right now. And I wanna challenge you to take this one step further. Instead of just saying, okay, God, I need you to see me in my seat, I want you to come forward, to go ahead and begin to come right now. And the reason for that is you will remember standing at the front. You'll remember this day. And you'll remember that you stood at the front and you said, God, I need you to see me. I need you to see me in my hurt. I need you to see me in my brokenness. I need you to see me in my mess. I need you to see me in everything that I'm going through. I need you to see me. Continue to come. And then I think the next step becomes that we pour out our heart to him that we simply begin to tattle or complain or list it out, use names and dates if you need to, get specific. Just tell him, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I'm broken. This is what I'm going through. God, do you see what's going on in my life? your own words, just tell him, God, here's our heart. This part of my life feels like a mess and I need you. I need you to see me and I need you to intervene and I need you to help me. I feel broken. I feel betrayed. I feel misunderstood. Here's my
or jewels, we entrust them to you. We ask that you would see us in our broken place. You would see what we're going through. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. As believers, we grieve and we're authentic and we lay it all out, but we know that we serve a God who redeems and heals. Love you, church family. We'll see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior and to guide my life, to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. 
If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.